You know, last week I did say we're going to get back in Galatians, but with all that was happening, I'm going to go ahead and finish out the sermon on the mount, and then we'll get back to Galatians uh, next week. But last time we were together, we studied Jesus' words that were, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Uh, Jesus was saying that if you crave the right relationship with God, if you pursue, if you purpose, like your, your food based on hunger and thirst, then He is going to satisfy you. Uh, work up a, a good appetite, in a sense, for righteousness and holiness, and, and He will give you that righteousness and holiness. In other words, set your sights on what's right and, and what's good and what's of God. Uh, religion always tries to promote holiness from, from the external, you know, the behaviors to do things that you, sh- you know, that you shouldn't do. If you've grown up around this type of, of teaching, it's all about the things you weren't supposed to do. And oftentimes the holiness becomes a, a list of do's and don'ts and, and so forth. In reality, holiness is, is a right relationship with God. And Jesus is the only one who can make you that. Now, the fruit of, of being with Jesus is that you will stop doing certain things. But that's different. That is from the inside out. That's Holy Spirit blessed. That's Holy Spirit led. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled with God. And verse 7 is, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And as we talked about last week, about how much mercy God has shown us over and over again, God has just dumped mercy upon us. And and once we receive that mercy from God, what should we do with it? Well, we should turn around and give to others. Nothing is worse than a Christian receiving mercy, Christian receiving grace, Christians receiving the blessing of God, and and for us to not to do anything with it, for us not to go out into the world and and give that same mercy and that same grace to others. That is the fault that the, the Jews were dealing with over and over and over throughout history. God blessed them. God wanted to show the world God's grace, God's mercy, God's ways through them, But they just said, oh, bless us, bless us, and they just stayed right there. They never turned around and looked outward. We should be looking outward. Now, we we also talked about that there were two different kinds of mercy. One that where you help the less fortunate than you. Those are suffering. Uh, You know, you, you recognize it and you help out. They haven't had the advantages maybe that you've had, and, and or they've fallen on hard times uh, where, um, where, you know, where before you may have been judgmental toward them, and now Jesus has made you more sensitive, and, and rightly so, and you, and you want to help them. Your relationship with Jesus ought to make you, uh, make you want to do this more and more and become merciful. Then the second kind of mercy is forgiving. Forgiving someone when they don't deserve it. And we talked about this. They often offended you or ripped you off. And right now, it seems like everybody's offending everybody. And there's a need for us to give mercy back based on what God has given us. Now, as we talked about last week, we figured out sometimes we don't have to, we don't have it in us to forgive. And this is specifically when we go to God and we say, God, you forgive them. I can't, I can't forgive them. You forgive them. And God goes, okay, I can, I can work with that. 
I will forgive them, and then I'll work on the process of you forgiving them. And God starts to work on us. And, and God will, will slowly remind us about how much mercy He gave us and, and so forth. And then over time, we get to, to work that out, and we can actually forgive somebody we thought we would never be able to forgive. And then down in verse 8, He goes on, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It just means the simplicity of the heart. Honesty in, in relationships. Jesus says you are blessed if you are pure in relationships. If our heart is pure and whole, we are less apt to, to do something that we shouldn't do. So the real issue is dealing with our heart. You know, the Bible says purify your heart. And Jesus is the only one who can clean up the dark hearts that are within us. We need to get to the point where our yeses are yes, and our noes are no. Where we can trust other people's motives, and where they can trust us. They just, they just know that, that you will do the things the right way, and, and, and trust is really built on that pure heart. This is like, you know, we talk about marriage a lot, and this is the basis of marriage, is trusting that what your spouse says is true and honest and from the heart. You know, a pure, genuine heart, people can disagree with, with our beliefs. For the, but for them, you know, oftentimes, oftentimes if we have a pure and genuine heart, they may disagree, but they'll say at least he's genuine. At least he knows what he believes. You know, my wife um, uh, works uh, in the Bay Area at a, at a company. She's, I mean, she works from home now, but it's the same company we originally started working for back in 1994. And in the Bay Area, you can imagine there's all sorts of different people and stuff. And, and one, of her, one of her friends that she got to know um, actually said to her once, you know, you, you're the first Christian I know that I feel that's a genuine Christian. Wow. I mean, that's pretty sad. I mean, that, that is awful. It's so important for us to have trust with other people. To be genuine in what we believe, not to be rude, but to have that pure heart of God where people can say, you know what, I totally 100% disagree with you, or I may disagree with you just a little bit, but you know what? You know what you believe, and you're true and honest, and, and you're the first Christian I know that's actually acted like it, that has love in their heart for other people. This is important for us as Christians if we are to have an impact. The problem is that we can, we can have all the truth about Jesus. But if people catch us in lies or shady things or, or sin that just, uh, not just little sins, but big sins that, that, that everybody goes, now that shouldn't be going on, they won't want to get to know about your Jesus. They won't want to know about the Savior of this world. They'll just say it's a load of junk. It's a, you know, the, there's no way. Then in verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacekeepers, for they will be called the sons of God. This is an interesting uh, for a Messiah figure to be a peacemaker. Back then, it was, you know, they, they were ready for a Messiah. And all the Messiah, you know, they, they were all calling for the Messiah to come in and overthrow Rome. Then Jesus comes along and he talks about peace. He doesn't really even talk about Rome, <coughs> Rome much at all. Uh, in fact, he doesn't really talk about politics very much, which, you, you know, in today's, today's you know, world, it's all about politics. 
And people will peg you depending on your politics, you know, not on are you a Christian or not. Isn't that interesting? And Jesus didn't really even talk about Rome that much. He talked about a different kingdom, his kingdom. And, you know, about the same time, uh, there was a Messiah called the Egyptian, another guy who said, I was the Messiah. He was a Jew. He came from Egypt. He drew a big crowd, had lots of prophecies going on. And, and one was, at his word, the, war, uh, the walls of Jerusalem would fall down. Well, the Romans didn't like this uh, insurrectionist. So they sent soldiers out there and annihilated 2,000 of his followers just to shut them up. Jesus comes and says, blessed are the peacemakers. Some looking for, for the Messiah were thinking, well, this isn't the Messiah. The word peacemaker is a very interesting word. It's really two words. Peace is in Irene. Think of the word Irene, tranquility and harmony. The other part is poiao which means to produce or to construct. In other words, the author that's a cause of. So Jesus says, Blessed are those who cause tranquility, whose presence or words produce harmony. Man, that, that's a great reputation to have, isn't it? God is calling some of us to be peacemakers. Some like John the Baptist, he calls to be confronters. You know, to get into the face of those. But, you know, so don't use this as an excuse either way. But some of us are called to be peacemakers. So we have to be careful not to put God in this box that God wants every Christian to be like this and fit in here. We have to be careful with that. There are things, you know, there are times when a peacemaker shows up and calms things down. Many of us have family members like the, you know, who like to stir things up. Or a coworker, always the naysayers, always the negative ones. Well, hopefully there's also a peacemaker in there. Most uh, of the counseling that I do really is about peacemaking. It's about deciding not to fight. You know, a good manager of people is a good peacemaker in most situations. You know, when you're driving to work, if you're driving to work right now, or if you're getting up in the morning, you ought to be praying, Lord, Help me be a peacemaker today because this world needs more peacemakers, doesn't it? I mean, right now we need peacemakers. I mean, just uh, this past week, and even in Tulare, we had an officer shot in a scuffle with a, with, with a, a suspect that was pulled over in a fight and sued and so forth. But we need peacemakers. We don't need troublemakers. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace and he wants to be used in that way. It is a privilege to be used by God. It is a privilege to have a reputation as a peacemaker. Those who just want to get along and influence others in that way. Psalms 133 says, How good and pleasant is it when brothers live together in unity. You know, one of the greatest things that I'm trying to teach my kids is not to just get along. I want them to love each other, to live together in unity. I want them to, to, to 30 years down the road be going fishing to Canada like I do with one of my brothers and, and just enjoy each other. I want them to, to, to stick together in life because they're peacemakers. They live together in unity. It's not just about getting along and not fighting. There's another whole component to it. 
Now the last beatitude is in verse 10. It said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all these evil you know, things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we can expect persecution, and we should rejoice when it comes. And some people are like, you have to be joking, Pastor. I mean, rejoice when persecution comes. I mean, this guy, uh, change the channel, click the, the computer button, get them off the screen. But Jesus says that we should rejoice. We see this in Acts. The first Christians were persecuted. They would come home and praise Jesus when they were, you know, hauled to the Sanhedrin, the, the, the Jewish courts. And, and, and persecution was a good thing back then. You know, it is a good thing sometimes. If we're not persecuted, my question is, are we not growing? It identifies us with Christ and the martyrs who have gone before us. It reminds us the world is not our own. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2.4, verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving uh, for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Wow, that's a heavy verse. Persecution reminds us we are eternal. Nothing that can, be, you know, can take away from us that we have already been given over to for God. So we have to take fear out of it. Persecution is slowly growing in America. But also look at what it says. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So it doesn't say blessed are those who are persecuted because they are difficult, because they're obstinate, because they have no sense of timing, no social skills whatsoever, because they like to be persecuted. It doesn't say any of that. Sometimes well-meaning Christians mistake persecution for normal social rejection. Blessed are those who are persecuted for acting like Jesus, for speaking like Jesus, for being like Jesus. Jesus said they're, they're persecuting me. They will also persecute you. That is, that is the way you, you will know that you're with me. Jesus said that in multiple places. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3, all those who suffer persecution, who follow Christ, so here, you know, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll suffer persecution who follow Christ. In other words, everyone will. So here's the deal. If you're not suffering any persecution, or you haven't over the past year, or two, or five, or ten, you should ask yourself why. Good question. Go ahead, ask yourself. <laughs> Usually it's because you're not public with your faith. So you don't, you know, face any opposition in this world. Opposition in America to Christianity is not, so much, is not much in America, but it's starting to grow. It's starting with our universities, and they're getting more and more bold with dismissing any belief in God. You know, a few years ago, a professor in Texas Tech uh, basically says, no matter what your grades are, he would not recommend you for graduate school unless you discount the biblical view of creation. His number one question he would ask you, 
before he would recommend you. And his chancellor went on the news and defended him. I mean, this is outright bigotry. Think about it. If it was any other belief system in the world, this guy would be sued and fired. There was also an 11-year-old in Colorado, you know, many years ago, a sixth grader named Elizabeth Johnson, wanted to do a book report using the Bible. Her teacher told her she couldn't do it, that she could, could not even bring up the Bible in the, you know, bring the Bible into the classrooms. Her parents had to hire a lawyer and threaten a lawsuit so their you know, daughter could do a book report on the Bible, which was perfectly legal, but the teacher thought it was not. She was persecuting this little girl for her beliefs. We see this in graduation speeches all over the country. Don't, you know, don't mention God. Don't mention Jesus. You know, heaven forbid anyone ever hear the word Jesus. Wait, can't even say the word heaven. You know, that should be censored too. Persecution fans of flame sometimes, you know. Television is an interesting thing and how it portrays Christians. It's very subtle. They mock Christianity in most shows, but it's very, very light. And every character who represents Christian beliefs is an extreme kind of right-wing nut job. The news media is biased against Christianity. Do you remember Matthew Shepard, homosexual college kid that went into a bar and two idiot murderous thugs attacked him and killed him? It was terrible. It should not have happened. Within days, the, the news media had twisted it to say that, they, that it was their Christian beliefs that had caused them to do this. And even said the, fo- the, said the focus on the family was one of the groups that caused this whole thing to happen. Therefore, the conclusion is that I'm really sure the, the two young people who were drunk out of their mind, who killed this guy, you know, were out listening to focus on the family when they left the bar and decided to go kill the guy. I mean, that was kind of the spin that was put onto the thing. In 30 days, over 3,000 stories were written about this. Laws were passed because of this incident. We all remember the story. What's interesting is you probably haven't heard of, of Mary Stafowitz. She's from Chicago. She's a, a 51-year-old Christian woman who worked with a 19-year-old homosexual man. She asked him some questions about his lifestyle because she was a Christian and and she just wanted to understand. And he flew into a rage and beat her senseless. Even in testimony, he said he got tired of punching and kicking her. It wore him out. Then he put a bag over her head and suffocated her. Ask why. He said she reminded him of his Christian mother who questioned his lifestyle choice. Now, you would think this brutal crime would get the same type of coverage, right? Same brutal type of killing. I disagree with how you live, so therefore I will kill you. However, in 60 days after this woman's death, 23 stories. The other one, 30 days, 3,000 stories. Local news hardly covered it at all. And only, only national news covered it. One channel, that's it. So you have to ask yourself why. Equally bad, equally sensational, it all would sell papers and and coverage, and yet one was a Christian and one was a homosexual. Seems like it, doesn't it? There's a huge disparity in our media today. It seems like that it seems like the news just wants to present things a certain way. 
There's certain news channels out there that, that might present the other way, but they're looked at as a joke. Looked at as not really news at all. They're not really a news organization. Yet, it seems like more people watch that news channel than any other news channel. Now, I'm not here to represent one or the other or say one is right and one is wrong. All I'm saying is that, that most news organizations in this world cannot stand anything conservative that has any Christian value to it. Now, around the world, it's not so subtle at all when it comes to persecuting Christians. In Iran, the government came, you know, uh, went to a church service and they arrested a pastor and hauled him off to jail for preaching the Word of God. They haven't heard or seen from this person yet. In Egypt, uh, you know, many years ago, the Muslims were, were killing Christians and burning their churches. Oh, wait, I can't blame it on the Muslim religion or beliefs. Right. At least that's what the media would say. Well, I'm sorry. When their holy books say to kill those who don't believe what they believe, to kill them, to consider them an infidel, as they describe it, then that is okay. That is where the blame lies. That's where I'm going to say it. But really, this is not the ultimate problem. This all comes from Satan. It's a disguise. It, he, he disguises it in, in re, different religions and different beliefs. But this evil destruction of, of the believers, of the true God, comes from one place and one place only, and that is Satan. In India, it is the Hindus who, who attack the Christians. Groups go out and, and show the Jesus movie all over uh, India, and, and the uh, Hindus will attack them in the middle of the movie. There are people all over the world being persecuted and sometimes killed for the name of Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for acting like Jesus. Now, if you go to, to a website called persecution.com, very interesting, you'll see reports from all over the world. In China, top secret organizations are sanctioned to annihilate any Christian organization in China. They even have instructions on how to identify and eliminate illegal churches in homes and to put into prison anyone who resists. And, and you can even get a bonus for cracking down on Christians. Extra money. Another website is international, uh, you know, is a international Christian concern is persecution.org. So you have the .com and .org, two different sites. And these guys track what is happening in, in Sudan and other places. And uh, they'll go in and burn down a, entire villages if they allow a church in the village. It is against the law to not be a Muslim. Even though Christianity was in Sudan and Africa way before Muhammad ever lived. But this radical Islam that, that has taken over many parts of the world is a threat to Christianity, and it comes from Satan. That's what we forget. We try to blame it on a religion or whatever, but it, it ultimately comes back to Satan and the fight against God. It is the broad war, the spiritual war of what's going on. How are they doing it in Sudan? Not only will they burn the whole village down, they'll rape the women and take them with them. Then they take the children away from the adults. They put them, them into certain schools and indoctrinate them into Islam. Then they kill the men, but not only kill them, they're cruci crucifying them on crosses to make fun of them. When the Catholic Church protested in Sudan, they took two, I mean, uh, four priests, they stripped them and crucified them. 
Over one million Christians have been martyred today in Sudan. Do you see this on the news media? It's a scandal. It's also going on in Syria and other places. But, they, but, but have they covered the Christians being killed now in, in Egypt and other places like that? No. But, but, you know, they wanted us to support Muslim Brotherhood into the government. Wow. It's sad. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. It is interesting that Jesus goes from talking about persecution to what? You are the salt of the earth, but if salt ta- loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? In many cases, the church has lost its flavor. It's interesting that, that we're more upset that we can't go over to our sanctuary, main sanctuary building and worship together like that, that we're doing it online right now because our evil you know, California governor made this rule, we're more upset about that than Christians being persecuted and killed around the stinking world. That's sad. Very sad. This is temporary. Now, if our governor said, you couldn't worship at all, you would see me stand up and say, that is not correct, and you'd see me revolt. But he's not saying you can't worship at all. You know, you, yes, it does say in the Bible we're supposed to, to worship God and, and not, uh, not stop from coming together. Well, we're not stopping from coming together. This is a temporary thing. The Bible also says in Romans that we should follow our governments. Jesus didn't come up against the government. Now, there can be people on both sides of the issues. We can still love each other. That's okay. But the church has lost its saltiness. We get more upset about superficial things than things that really, really 100% matter. You know when salt loses its saltiness? It's no longer good for anything except for to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are a light of the, you are a light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You know, I, I, salt in the ancient times was not used in little salt shakers put on the table so we could, you know, put a little tastiness to our meat. It was a preservative, you know. Uh, you know, it, it, it's something to preserve the, the, the meat to, to be used later on. And many of us, the Lord has preserved to be used in a time. And I wonder if this is the time with everything going on in the world, that we should stand up and point to the one creator that can solve all of this, which is Jesus Christ. He is our help in time of trouble. He is our help in time of persecution. And some of us will go through a persecution and, and a time of persecution in this world for his glory. And we'll try to blame it on Satan and the Lord sitting there going, but I'm allowing you to go through this because I want you to be my representative in how you go through this. So my question is, how are you going through this small persecution that we're dealing with? Lockdown. Kids not being able to go to school. We have to wear a mask. Oh my. (gasps) But I don't want to. We feel so persecuted because we have to wear a mask. Now, if you have a medical reason, I understand. Don't wear a mask. I get that. But as Christians, I I just say, come on. This isn't persecution. This This isn't going... I think you get my point. 
We have to be careful with these things. As a Christian, as a, a, a citizen of the United States, we have, we have split homes. We have this worldly home, and we have this heavenly home. Which realm are we living in? What attitude do we have when it comes to all this stuff? Where do you fall? Are you closer to God and going, okay, Lord, help me deal with this. Help me be the greatest Christian I can be during this time. Are we acting like the Americans, you know, pull our boots on by the bootstraps and, and we can, you know, I can do this and leave me alone and, you know. We as Christians need to be more Christ-like. We need to get more love, more mercy, more gentleness, more holiness, more of all the things of God to this world, especially during this time. Now let's pray for those who are truly persecuted around this world because they're going through a lot more for what they truly believe than what many of us are. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for for our brothers and sisters around this world. For those in China and Sudan and, and Kenya and many places in Africa and many places in Europe and India and different places, Lord, that, that, are, that are truly being persecuted for saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. That are being killed, that are being stripped of, of their jobs completely and, and, and literally being pulled out of their homes, beaten, left in the streets. Lord, we pray that we hold them up as martyrs when they're killed. We know that you will will truly bless them for what they've gone through and and you will reward them, Lord. But we pray that we, we not forget what real, true persecution is. That we be careful when we say we're being persecuted. Is it truly persecution or is it just our attitude and our actions that people just don't like? Which one is it, Lord? I pray that you give us discernment during this time. I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you immensely when you stand up for him in this world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. You guys have a wonderful week.